Welcome to the Lost Showman Heroes podcast. My name is Matthew. And my name is Mateo. And together, we're diving deep into the history of Rome from its founding to his death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way, and ranking them. So, let's jump into episode number 21, Titus Labinus. Mateo. Yup. Before we get rolling, mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that this is a special episode because you and I hadn't planned on covering Titus Labinus. That that's true. We we had no idea who he was actually. We had no clue who he was until a listener, AJ Howard, sent us a message on Instagram saying that we should cover Titus Labinus. So shout out to AJ. Thank you so much for the suggestion and for setting us on the track of this incredible character. You taught us something and we really hope you enjoy the episode. Yup. Yup. So as we do every episode, Mateo, let's orient ourselves on the map and in time. We think that Labinus was born... By the way, do we want to call him Titus throughout this episode or Labinus? Are we covering Titus the Emperor? No. Oh, good question. I don't know. Call him Labinus? Yes, call him Labinus. Okay. So we think Labinus was born in 100 BC in Piscinum, which is very close to where Pompey was born, in the northern part of Abruzzo or the southern part of Le Marche, uh, due east of Rome. And Pompey was six years old when Labinus was born, just to put this into the context of our last he... episode. Yeah, exactly right. We don't know for sure that he was born in 100. We think he was probably born in 100 or, or right around there. So this is typically where you talk, Mateo, about what's happening around the world at but this time. in the last like six episodes, it's all been around basically the same stuff. So. so not too much to add. Yeah, we already know what's going on. We know what's going on around the world. Yep. So, Titus's Labinus's origin story. Think he was born around 100. Know very little about his origins, except for where he was born, which is a little hilltop town on the Adriatic, Mateo. And on a clear day from that town, you can see across the water to the mountains of Croatia. No kidding. Yeah. That's it, pretty crazy. Isn't it cool? That's awesome. Yeah. I never... Well, I probably wouldn't be able to see it because my vision's terrible. Your vision and my vision is not so hot. But that's pretty awesome. But if we shared a pair of glasses, we could see it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I would love to go and check that out with you someday. That would be awesome. So there are no pictures of Labinus. There are no marble busts. And we know nothing about his mom or his dad, except for the fact that he was born into the equestrian class, so the knight class, one step below senatorial class. Like a samurai, basically. Like a samurai. Warrior class. And we can guess, Mateo, that he probably knew Pompey because they were from the same town or the same general area. And Pompey was a patron of that area because he was the big man to right. come out of. He the was area. the local him, the local guy. That guy. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, he was the big man. Yep. But we don't have any more details. And our first glimpse of Titus Labinus, Mateo, was when he was 22 years old. He was serving in the East under Publius Servilius Vatia Esaricus. Sarkis is a new one, I'm pretty sure. It is. That is a cognomen. He Meaning? Was, he was granted that by the Senate because he subdued Esoria, which is, as you know, a territory in modern Turkey. Right. 
So he's like Africanus. Yep. But they're just handing these agdomens out to anyone now. They, they are kind of shoveling them out kind of sort of liberally. I think you're right. And so this dude, Publius Servilius, was... Wait, a, what? Huh? I thought, I thought there was already a Scipio Asiaticus. There is. So how did this guy... Well, Asiaticus... He remember, didn't conquer all of Turkey, right? He just got like a little... Uh, a piscon, right? Is yeah. That, is, is that the Asiaticus just got like... A piscon, right? I, I don't... The, right across the... the like the um, Chalcedon area, right across yeah. from Constantinople. What that, the hell? Yeah. Episode. But also to subdue Isoria, which was this mountainous region sort of near uh, the Taurus Mountains uh, filled with a rough and tumble, fearsome tribe that we're going to see a lot of when we get later into our podcast and we move to the east. Okay. They're cool guys, the Asorians. So anyways, this guy was also a super cool dude. He almost deserves his own episode, Matteo. I was reading Publius Servilius Vatia's life story, and he's amazing. He did incredible things. Right. So, uh, Why doesn't he get his own episode? I don't know why he doesn't get his... He may deserve his own episode. I'll, I'll share a little information with you, and you can tell me if you think he deserves his own episode. Okay. So underneath this proconsul in the east was... Titus Labinus, and another young guy served very briefly underneath him at this time, and his name was Mr. Julius Caesar. Never heard of that guy. Yep. Well, you're going to in our next episode. A little footnote in history. Little tiny footnote in history. I don't. We don't really know what Titus Labinus did there, but we know that he was there, and, and he must have been good, Matteo, because our next glimpse of him, it's a little frustrating. There's a 15-year gap. What? Yeah. So we have him at 22 years old doing, we think, good things in the East. And then in the year 63 BC, he's 37 years old now. What did he do in those missing 15 years? Well. Any guesses? Probably a bunch of uh, soldiering. I think you're right. I think he did a lot of soldiering and he must have been successful. He must have fought in the in the Sulla Marian Wars. He, he must have fought in this. That is really cool. Or we're, would he have been too young? So we're we're sitting outside right now in uh, somewhere outside of Bogota, Colombia, in the mountains, and looking at this big flock of birds flying over our head, and the sun's about to go down. It's pretty cool. To our listeners, wish you were here. It's like some Lord of the Rings thing, like yeah. Saruman the White, <laughs> yeah. the, the crows. Yeah. Oh, I love those crows. Yeah. No, not the crows, the eagles. No, but you know how Saruman, like, he, sent, uh, he communicates with the... No, yeah. like, he sent the crows to spy on the fellowship. Oh, yeah. Ah, Saruman. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely We're rambling, right. we're rambling. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, getting back to this. 63 BC, our boy, Titus Labinus, is now tribune of the plebs, Matteo. So, this is a massively senior and powerful position. And in that position, he was working closely with Pompey, and that, because their ties uh, from Piscinum, and also becoming fast friends with Caesar. And this was the period, Matteo, of the First Triumvirate. And Caesar had become sort of a mentor to Labinus. Was he he, older? uh, Caesar was born the same year. They were both born in 100. And he convinced Labinus in his capacity as tribune of the plebs to bring a judicial action against a senator named Rabirius. He accused him, that is, Labinus accused Rabirius of high treason, Matteo. And the term for that in ancient Latin is perdulio. Perdulio. Yeah. And if convicted, Matteo, of high treason, Rabirius would have been, the punishment was either you're thrown from the Tarpian Rock. Remember we talked about the Tarpian Rock? In like episode one? Yeah. Wait, was that where, um, uh, um, crap, that's where, um, 
Aeneas of Troy climbed up. Or not Aeneas, that was a rhyme. Not Rhymeless either. Cincinnatus climbed up? Nah, uh, no, I think it was uh, Camillus. Oh, Camillus. Yeah, I think yeah. it was Camillus that climbed up. So the Tarpian Rock is a big rock on the Capitoline, or the Palatine, where they would throw people off of to kill them as part of their, their when, when they were uh, given a death sentence. Or Riberius could have been hung from an arbor infelix, which is an unlucky tree. That seems a, reasonable. Yeah. So the reason why he was accused of high treason by Caesar is because Many years before, in fact, in 100 BC, Riberius supposedly had the hand in the death of a tribune. And that tribune was a guy named Lucius Saturninus. Uh, and supposedly he had the hand in the death of another guy who was Titus's own uncle. So th- this guy, this guy's old as heck, probably. Yeah, he's really old. Yeah. He's really old. He's in his last days already. Yeah, so the question is, 37 years later, what the hell is Caesar trying to accomplish? Yeah, he's, he's just... Oh no, I guess he's enjoying it. Well, you know what? I think it's more than enjoying. I think Caesar was, despite the fact that he was a patrician, and we're going to talk about this in depth in his episode. He was broke. He was broke, and so, so he empathized with the people. He was a man and of it, the people. It was generational brokenness, too. It was generational brokenness. Yeah. His, and he I was always his, in debt. His father briefly served as governor in. In Asia, right? Uh, we're going to talk about Caesar I don't know, next whatever, episode. Yeah, but but my point his is, his family was a bunch of a bunch of bums. Why is Caesar using his friend Labinus to go after this old senator? And the answer is that the Senate had the ability, under their emergency powers, to subject somebody to execution, an extrajudicial killing, without trial, without them having to appear in front of a judge. It was a power that the Senate had, and Caesar hated that power. And more than that, he knew that the people in the street hated that power. Yeah, so the Senate basically just had the right to kill anybody and not have to explain basically, it. Basically whenever they wanted. And what you see here is Caesar starting to cultivate the favor of the man in the street, something that he was absolutely brilliant at and we'll, see, we'll see in detail in his episode. So Labinus did this for him. Uh, Rabirius wound up being not killed but exiled. And Caesar used Labinus for one more thing during his period of being tribune of the plebs, which was to change the law so that the Senate was no longer responsible for electing priests. And they gave that power to the assembly of the plebs. And shortly thereafter, Caesar was elected Pontifex Maximus at the age of 37 years old. Very weird. High priest. High priest. Chief, the chief high priest of the College of Pontiffs. This is usually something given to somebody who was about to kill over and die. Oh, it was really? given to old men at the end of their career. Oh, just something else to put on their gravestone? Yeah, it, but do we, because... You wouldn't give that to, like, an oracle or someone that gives their entire nah, life? No, it, was, it was like a political appointment, but the, and it was a lifetime appointment. So at 37, Caesar got himself, because he wound up paying everybody off, and we'll see that in his episode, elected Pontifex Maximus, thanks to his buddy Labinus, and he started to gradually get out of debt, because the Pontifex Maximus, the role of Pontifex Maximus came with... A money. nice little salary, nice money and in, in, titles, in the pocket. Lands and oh, for sure, and and a lot of prestige. So, all of Labinus's moves up until now, Mateo, were good for Caesar, but were they good for Labinus? Well, I mean, listen, if since he was a, a novus homo, any power to the people was going to be power for him. So, I think you're right, and power to his patrician friend Caesar would mean good things for him down the line, and that's exactly what happened. This looks like a little old-fashioned. Tit for tat. Yeah. Because the next time he shows up in history, Matteo, 
and we're talking right now, he was Tribune of the Plebs in 63. In five years from then, Mateo, so he's now 42 years old, or 41 years old, Caesar heads to Gaul to take over as governor of Cisalpine Gaul, 58 BC. I didn't realize Caesar was so old when this was occurring. I didn't, un- I I didn't realize that either. I thought he was much younger. Yep, I did too. He was not a young man, huh. certainly not by Roman standards. And Labinus was not a young man. They were the same age, and Labinus is there with him, Mateo, as his legate. Hmm, not Mark Antony. No, and uh, I knew you were going to ask about I that. I thought Mark Antony was his right-hand man. Ah, uh, That's he, what the he, story says. Yeah, he became his right-hand man years later. This is 58 BC, and Mark Antony didn't actually get to Gaul until 54 BC. Yeah, Mark Antony was probably just a, a little... Alas, by right now. He was he was actually he was in the army, but he was fighting in the east. Oh really? Yeah, he had so he was not yet assigned to Caesar's command. Not alas. A, a little alas. A girl. Alas is a girl. Yeah, oh. little lass. Laddie. He was a little laddie. Oh, laddie. Yeah. Laddie. laddie. He was a laddie fighting in the east. What? And there goes all of our British all viewers. <laughs> sorry, no, sorry. <laughs> Listen. It's all fun and games until somebody whips out an offensive accent. I hope. That was not offending any of our listeners, mm-hmm. uh, especially not in the UK, because you guys have been super faithful and we love you. Please Absolutely. keep listening. So 58 BC, Labinus and Caesar show up in Gaul and the legate. So the senior general, one step below Caesar is Labinus. And they would be in Gaul together, Matteo, until 49 BC. And that's when you, you know what hits the fan in 49 BC. And we're going to see it. A little bit in this episode, much more in Caesar's episode. Now, there's a little problem, Mateo, I want you to be aware of, of in everything I'm going to say from here on out about Labinus. And that problem, Mateo, is that the historian of this period that writes everything down that we know about Labinus happens to be Julius Caesar. So, it's not objective. At all. At all. Caesar was a master self-promoter. And it was the Caesar story, 24 hours a day. But Caesar also did, you know, he did show some affection. Oh, he did, very much so. And we're going to see a little bit of it now. I'm just saying we need to take everything we talk about right now with regards to Libyan. A little grain of salt. With a big grain of salt. So, uh, by the way, anybody who is interested, Caesar's notes on the campaign in Gaul is called De Bello Gallicum. Then you can buy it on Amazon. He sent them actually yeah, to he Rome did. to be publicized. He did every week, basically. Yeah, he did. It was he had he was a master at PR. He was so smart, truly. So, this is what we know of Labinus. He was Caesar's trusted guy. He was in a class by himself, above all the other commanders, uh, and he was basically the Mark Antony before there was a Mark Antony. Right. For Caesar's first six six years in Gaul. His number two was Labinus, and he relied on him. He was Scotty Pippen to Caesar's Michael Jordan. That's a good analogy. That's a lot like what he was. Yeah. And when Caesar left Gaul, Matteo, he trusted Labinus so much that he would leave the entire army in charge of, in, in the hands of Labinus. Like when Michael Jordan went to go play baseball. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So when Caesar had to leave to go back to Rome or to go to Cisalpine Gaul, or when he left Gaul to go to Britain, he left Labinus in charge of the legions in Gaul. But Julius Caesar took legions to Britain as well. He didn't, but the ones that he left behind were in Labinus's, uh, in Labinus's command. Sweet. So there, there are a few instances that come out in Julius Caesar's own journal about Labinus's actions and war. 
and I wanted to share a few of them with you, Mateo, so you can get a sense of what a rock star this guy was uh, underneath Caesar in Gaul. Let's hear it. In 57, he was in action against two tribes called the Atrebates and the Nervi. Now, Caesar had about eight legions, Mateo, which were 4,800 men each, so call that 35,000 men. His enemies, which were a collection of Belgic tribes, had around 75,000 men. Now, just for our listeners' understanding, when we refer to Gaul uh, right now, we're talking about modern France, modern Belgium, and a good chunk of Switzerland. That was Gaul. So the Caesar's men were significantly outnumbered by 2x, and the Nervi were amongst the most ferocious of the Celtic tribes that were standing up against the oh. Romans. Oh, but they were, the Celts, well, yeah. Gauls were Celts. Celts, Gauls, yeah. yeah. They're all really, I mean, I guess, it's, yeah, they're all pretty much the same. They're, I think they're pretty much the same. All pretty much worship the same, similar gods. I think so. I think because the Celts were the Gauls, but the Celts were in other places as well. But yeah, they, they were also in like England and stuff. Yeah. So, Labinus was in charge, Mateo, at this battle of the 9th and 10th legions. And we know that the 10th legion is one of the most famous legions in the history of the Roman army, and it was Caesar's favorite legion. Yep. And this battle was known as the Battle of the Sabbath, which was fought on the banks of the River Sel, the modern River Sel in northern France, which is right next to the modern town of Salzoir. Uh, which is right next to the border of Belgium. And if you go to our website, www.lostgermanheroes.com, you can, you'll see a little map where I circled um, the modern town of Salzoir, just to put this into perspective. So you're pretty far no- north of Paris at this long point. Long way from Rome. Yeah, very long way from Rome. So this is deep into the campaigns. So this is like, what? This has got to be near the tail end of the, of the Gauls. No, right? it's not. This, this is actually year two. He arrived in 58, and this is 57. I didn't realize out. he pushed north. So uh, yeah, he north. went right away. He went north. Huh. Right away. He did not hesitate. So we'll see much more of this in Caesar's episode, and I'll put it into context. But in a nutshell, this is the battle. Caesar is at some point losing the battle, okay? Because the Nervi were badasses, to use a technical term. These guys were so anti-Roman, and they were smart, Matteo. They refused to import luxury items into the tribe because they didn't want their people to be corrupted by the, by the Romans. Capitalism. Yeah, isn't, isn't well, that right? Technically, that's capitalism, I guess. Yeah, but yeah, capitalism and just the, the, the luxuriousness of the Romans. Right, because then they're going to buy into the Romans trying to you know, rub their shoulders. Why don't you stay at my house tonight? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly, trying to tempt them into their dissolute lifestyle. So Caesar was moving his army into Camp Mateo, and the Nervi ambushed the Romans. And at some point, the Romans are on the verge of losing this battle. Labinus was in charge of the left flank, Mateo, and he somehow managed to get across the river cell and to take the enemy camp while the enemy was pressing Caesar in the Roman center. From the high ground, Labinus could see that Caesar was in deep trouble across the river. So with his two legions, he crossed the river again. He attacked the enemy from the flank, and that was the decisive move. The Romans were able to turn the tide and wound up winning the battle. And the Nervi, Matteo, no joke, they fought to the last man, standing on the dead bodies of their comrades. And Labinus carried the day. And we know it because Caesar wrote about it and gave him the credit in his journals that he sent back to the Senate. You know what? What? Many men wouldn't have done that. That is true. So, 
That is true. You have to take that into account when we talk about Caesar. That is very true. He, that is very true. He did. He he seemed he told the truth, and he elevated one of his men uh, to Which, be the hero of, of the course, day. Of course, in term, elevates him because that's like in his in his paparazzi kind of, or, in, or in, definitely in his in his circle. Yes, so that also elevates him, of course, but still. Yeah, because he chose well. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like elevating someone in his circle also elevates him, but at you know. It's, it's also easy to just elevate yourself and take all, all the spotlight. That is true. And we've seen in our 20 previous episodes, many, many Roman generals do that. Yep. The second time he's in action in Gaul Monteo that we know about, or the second big time, was in 53 BC. So this is five years after they've arrived in Gaul. And this is a battle against a tribe called the Treveri, which is another Celtic tribe. They lived around modern Trier, Monteo. Mm, Trier. Right. Trier is next to Germany. In fact, Trier is in Germany. Oh, I just remember playing Rome Total War. Yeah. Trier is in Germany now. It would eventually become an important city of the Roman Empire. And if you go to our website, www.lastrom.com. capital? Yeah, Constantine the Great for oh, a brief yeah. period of time. And he, he's not the only Roman emperor that had their capital there, but Constantine did. Uh, and there's a little map on our website where you can see I've circled Trier. It's right next to Luxembourg in modern-day Germany. And they have some incredible Roman ruins, Matteo. And really? That's a place I would love to go. If only we were allowed to go to Germany. Why can't we go to Germany? I don't think we want to talk about this. <laughs> Do we? <laughs> I want to eat dinner tonight. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, let's skip ahead. The Treveri were an extremely powerful Gallic tribe. And under their chief, Matteo, a guy by the name of Indutio Maris, they were fiercely anti-Rome. And the Romans were trying to promote Indutio Marius' son-in-law. Uh, so Indutio Marius declared his son-in-law enemy of the state, st- enemy of the state, and seized his stuff. And Labinus was camped nearby while this is going down. The forces of the Celts significantly outnumbered Labinus's troops. And this is Labinus there, Matteo. He's in charge of, of the legions. Uh, Caesar's at, off doing at, at Trier. Else. Caesar's off doing something else. And Labinus built a camp, you know, your, your classical Roman camp with the palisades. And every day, Indutio Maris, who massively outnumbered the Romans, would ride up to the palisades and swarm around the palisades, trying to freak the Romans out and to lure them out into battle. Day after day after day. And you can imagine, this could be a little scary if you're a Roman legionnaire standing up in the palisades, right? Yeah, and it also could get a little repetitive, you know? Like after breakfast in the morning. Here, here comes the barbarians. Oh, it's 8.30. Here comes the Gauls. Yeah, they're just out there with like a speaker yeah. playing like some romantic music that you don't like in the movies. <laughs> oh, what was that movie? Ah. I don't know, but you know they, they go outside, yeah. they throw yeah, those yeah, rocks yeah. at the window and they hold the speaker up. Yeah. Yo, Adrian! <laughs> oh, yeah. And said it's... Lepidius! Lepidius, come out! Lepidius! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rocky. Well, yeah. So, day after day... But Labinus didn't take the bait, and the Romans maintained discipline. And then one night, Matteo, Labinus received some allied cavalry that he was able to sneak into camp. And his enemy, Indutio Maris, didn't see it. So next day, here comes Indutio Maris again, surrounding the camp with his cavalry, you know, riding around in circles in a big show of force. And Labinus waited, and he waited, and he waited, and then when the the circus act was done and Indutio Maris t- 
turned and his men were marching back towards their camp. He sallied out. Labinus ordered a sally. Yeah. Sallied out, opened up two gates, and he let out his cavalry from two gates simultaneously with a very simple instruction. Kill Indutiomarus. Go straight for the leader. So they're headhunting. Yeah. And they did. They got to him and they killed him. And the Treveri broke. And then they regrouped a short while later, prepared to exact revenge. Labinus led his men across the river, feigning retreat. So the Treveri said, aha, we finally got him the out classic of... classic feigned retreat. Yeah. He, it's a move that everybody had felt for for all yeah. of history, basically. Yeah. And, and this guy has done it multiple times brilliantly. So the Treveri follow across the river, expecting victory. And just as they cross the river, Labinus turns his legions around and falls like a hammer blow upon the enemy, so pressing them the river as their advantage. Exactly. Press them up against the river and destroy them. And that was the end of the Treveri. Damn. And the last battle I'm going to mention is in 52. He was in action against the Parisi. Do you remember the Parisi? Uh, I don't know. I think they're probably somewhere near Paris. Yes. 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 Very nicely done. This is the Battle of Lutetia, Matteo. This is a major battle. We'll see it again with Caesar. But basically, Caesar sent Labinus with four legions, Matteo, to attack the Parisi at Lutetia. Uh, he took the 7th, the 9th, the 12th, and the 14th. Four legions, and he was attacking, as you said, basically the tribe that occupied the place where Paris is today. Labinus crossed the Seine, Matteo. And he decided that the tribes that were gathered there, they were all anti-Roman tribes. They were too much for him, right? So he decided to return across the Seine and to go back north to join up with Caesar because he needed reinforcements. So he fainted a retreat across the river again. Okay. The Parisi tried to block his move north. And he's this is retreating across the river Seine. The Parisi got ahead of him and tried to block him. And so Labinus was forced to give battle. And he basically, to, in a nutshell, he was able to use the, their, the Roman pylums to break the Parisi charge. And then he attacked the Parisi rear. And after winning the battle, he marched north to rejoin Caesar. Caesar at this point was at a place called Agendicum, which is in northern France. And Caesar had just lost a battle, Matteo, his first loss in the war for Gaul. But the Parisi weren't going to let Labinus go. They weren't done. They chased him. And they caught up with Labinus a little further down the river, then known as the Sequana River, now known as the Seine, and Labinus pulled a little trick out of his sleeve. He pretended to split his force in three. And the Parisi were so confused, they also split their army and started chasing basically ghosts. So, uh, like, manhunt, basically. Uh-huh. Or tag. And they sent the main force after what they thought was a very small central force controlled by Labinus. You know who did the same thing? Who's that? Robert E. Lee. Yeah? Yeah, when... um. General, the name slips my mind. Not Ulysses S. Grant, the guy, the predecessor before Ulysses Grant. I don't recall his name. Well, I don't remember his name either. He was an, uh, insignificant. But when he landed on uh, in Virginia, mm -hmm. he had a, a force that was like four times the size of, of Lee's, and he basically kept running his men around a circle through an opening in the forest, hmm. and made everyone think that there was like that he just split everyone up and like a massive well, army. That was a trick that Belisarius also pulled in his reconquest of Italy, and we'll see it in his episode. So, how, however it is, Labinus 
was able to pin down the central force of the Parisi, and then he brought in the bulk of his army, surrounded the Parisi, and wound up annihilating so them. So he basically led them into a, a trap. He led basically. them into it. Yes, that's exactly right. He led them into a big trap and wound up winning the Battle of Lutetia, which was a huge victory for you, the Romans. you got to take big risks to get risk, risk, risks to have big wins. Yeah, and this, you know, it's, Labinus in Gaul shows a military brilliance and, and, a, and an ability to make these on-the-fly tactical decisions that was really remarkable and sort of reminds you of Caesar himself. Yeah, definitely. Except, you know, he didn't get as much notoriety, of course. No, no, he didn't. He didn't get as much notoriety. And, and maybe, despite the fact that this guy was so valiant and so successful, maybe not all was well. Because I, I've, I've been trying to dig deeper on this Labinus character and go beyond Wikipedia to understand who the man was. And you get many historians, ancient historians and modern historians, saying that relationship, the relationship between Caesar and Labinus was probably deteriorating at this point. It was getting bitter? Yeah, that there was some resentment building, that this Labinus guy said, man, I'm doing everything Caesar is doing. And, and yet... He's still keeping me sort of under his thumb. And you know what? Maybe that was Caesar's fault. Because listen, it's like if, if you give a dog food off the table, he's going to keep coming back for more. You know? <laughs> maybe it was Caesar's fault by acknowledging him in the first place. Because then maybe that just, you know, maybe that goes to someone's head. He's like, yeah, you know what? I am great. Like, why am I? I like Caesar's like, yo, this guy's great. Maybe it got to him. He's like, I am great. What am I doing? It, it, that may be part of it. Or it, maybe he was just chilling. And circumstances... Well, I'm not going to... We're going to get there, but you know. We're, we're going to get there. And I guess we've seen many times over the episodes how a successful soldier in the field kind of moves up the ranks and they become tribune and then they become legate and then they go back to Rome and they run for consul, right? There's kind of... Oh. There's this natural progression. And so, historians say that Labinus may have thought that Caesar should have been promoting him to run for consul, that it was Labinus's turn. You know, yeah. Pompey used to do that for his subcommander. Maybe, so you know, like, honestly, that wouldn't, that would have been smart, too. So maybe he was it, thinking, it would, you know, would, Caesar's doing this on purpose then, because it would, it would only help him. It would only benefit Caesar. I would agree with you. And so... Maybe just Caesar just wanted him in the field. Maybe Caesar needed him in the field. Maybe he felt some kind of threat. It, it's the the point is Maybe we'll never Caesar know. Was just an ego mania, but something he, he definitely was. But something was percolating there, and yet, in September of fifty one B C, Mateo, so remember like Anakin and Kenobi. Anakin and Kenobi, yeah, maybe, a little bit like Anakin and but Kenobi. This is not the character who. No, we're we're going to come back to Anakin. We've talked about that. We're going to come back to him next episode. Right. But there's there is something there, and yet in September of fifty one B C, Mateo, Caesar made Labinus governor of Cisalpine Gaul. Promotion. So if there was something there, because a lot of old ancient Roman historians said that there was this budding rivalry, why would he have made him governor of Cisalpine Gaul? Doesn't right? make sense. That doesn't seem because if he, that's a that's the most that's a key position. It's a that's key. In and out of Rome. That's the gateway to Italy. That's TSA at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> that's a funny analogy. But yeah, it sort of is. It's TSA at the airport. You can't get to your gate unless you go through TSA and deal with all the friendly people yep. that want to frisk you. Yep, frisk you and without parental consent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they need to ask for parental consent. But so in this 51 BC, Labinus is now the governor of Cisalpine Gaul, which is a definite 
uh, uh, promotion, and you wouldn't yep. do, he, Caesar would not have done that if he didn't trust um, Labinus. And then we know Matteo in 49 BC, big stuff starts happening, right? Yep. Uh, and it was actually in 50 BC, the Senate asks Caesar to disarm. His term as governor of Gaul was officially over, but Caesar refused to lay down arms. He marched over the Alps to Ravenna with one legion, and on January 7th of 49 BC, the Senate declared him a public enemy. And on January 11th of 49 BC, he crossed, you say it. The Rubicon. The Rubicon. Alia Acta Est. Yeah. What I want to, by the way, I want to talk about that whole thing in Caesar's episode, of course. Okay. There's a lot of questions I have. Next, about that. okay. I'm going to hope, hopefully, I'm going to do enough research to be able to answer your questions. Right. So, what did Labinus do, Matteo? Caesar, his friend, marched his former commander, his, his province, marched through his province, crossed the Rubicon, which was breaking one of Rome's most sacred and ancient laws, throwing down the gauntlet against the Republic. What did Labinus do? Matteo. He sided with the Senate. He sided with the Republic. He sided with the legitimate government of Rome. Maybe he thought this was his, his big break. Maybe, or maybe he just said, buddy, I love you, but you just broke the law. You lost it, man. And a Mark Antony, who at this point had sort of replaced uh, Labinus in the legions of Gaul underneath Caesar, did not have any qualms with it. He was all for it. But Labinus did not. Labinus said... You're going against the Republic of Rome. That's wrong. But you see, that's the. I think that's the difference between. I mean, that's what made Augustus a great, uh, ultimately successful against Mark Anthony, and I think that's what separates Labinus from Mark Anthony. Mark Anthony was a soldier, you know. Yes. He was a soldier, thick and through to the end, and that's why he did such a horrible job of managing Rome when Caesar placed him yeah. there, and that's why his image was completely ruined when he went down to Egypt. He was just. In for the ride, you know? Yeah. He didn't have a, a mind of his own. So. His loyalty was to Caesar. It was not to any bigger and, bigger picture, bigger and force. I, I think his... He didn't really have vision, real yeah. vision. You get the sense that he, he was... just was, enjoying his life. Yeah. Know? He wasn't a big picture thinker. No. No strategy there. Yep. Yeah. So, there we are, Mateo. Caesar is an outlaw. And Labinus is siding with... The Republic. And I don't think that Labinus is choosing Pompey over Caesar because... Because he didn't engage him. He could have engaged him when he was in his province. Yes, but he, he could have. have. That is right. So I don't, he was not choosing his buddy Pompey. I believe, I believe he was choosing to support the Republic. Even though Pompey was like his patron saint. You know, Pompey yes. was like the godfather of his neighborhood. That is it's the dawn, very true. The and, dawn of his neighborhood. And many people have suggested that Labinus was choosing one man over the other. And uh, my gut, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because we, we haven't heard anything about them together. Like, sure, that's like yeah. the the local Don, the local mafioso yeah. of the neighborhood, yeah. but still. So he may not have chosen Pompey over Caesar, but Labinus wound up serving underneath Pompey. We just talked about how kind of this epic clash between Caesar and Pompey in our last episode. And you remember we talked about, Matteo, this battle. Well, first of all, Pompey put Labinus in charge of the entire cavalry of the Republic. Basically, the army that Pompey every was raising. In, in, so every knight in the, in, the, in the Republic was under his control now. Yeah, well, at this point, knights were not necessarily well, equites, the, yeah, the, the cavalry. Every, every, but the soldiers that were in the army raised by Pompey to put a stop to Caesar's oh advance. Yeah, so are we talking about the whole Republic or just the army? The army. Okay, okay. 
Yeah, we're talking about the army. And Labina said, okay, I will accept this responsibility, the magister equitum, basically the general of the of the cavalry. But Master of the horse. Please, master of the horse, thank you. Pompey, let's face Caesar here in Italy. Remember Pompey wanted to go east, and he did go east and tried to get the entire Senate to come with him east. And and Labina said, that's a mistake. Don't let, Let's not give Caesar time to get settled. He knew him well because that's his yeah. buddy. He knew him very well. Let's not give him time to get settled and to build up his forces and to rest and to come up with a battle plan. Let's attack this guy now and attack him in Italy. Pompey disagreed. He ordered this general retreat to Greece and Labinus went with him. And remember the first meeting between Caesar's forces and Pompey's forces was at a place called Dyrrhachium. Remember? I do remember. Because we talked about it last episode. We did talk about it last episode, yes. And so this was a four-month-long standoff, Matteo, between Pompey and Caesar. And Dyrrhachium, which is a city in uh, Greece, uh, sits on the Via Ignatia, and it sits on the Adriatic. And Caesar basically built a circumvallation of Dyrrhachium. Built, uh, I don't remember how many miles long, a uh, palisaded fence around Dyrrhachium to try to prevent Pompey's forces from foraging. He cut off all the rivers feeding the city. Isn't it amazing how a Roman army was able to put up this wall so quickly so that the other one can't even react? But it takes us so long to get, like, infrastructural decisions done here in, like, modern countries. It's crazy. Like, it's like an overnight, okay, here's 22 miles long of walls. Yeah. Which are, yeah, they're palaces, but they're sturdy. Yeah. You know, they're manned. That's pretty crazy. It is crazy. Like, we just drove from Bogota to where we are here, and they've been working on that stretch of highway for, like, the last seven years. Yeah, but Caesar's having that done he, overnight. He, he had it done, like, in a couple weeks. And he was trying to get Pompey... Do I have a question, though? Yeah, what is me. Pompey doing while he's watching him build this? Okay, Pompey is trying to resist the temptation to engage Caesar. But listen... He did not want to fight. You don't just send out, like, little parties to attack foragers and little groups. Like, I mean, the armies, I mean, if they're part of them, I don't know. I, you're, you're Seems prob- like a good time to strike to me. Probably. And, and I think one of the reasons why Pompey did not confront Caesar is Labinus was telling him, now is not the time. We need to wait for the proper moment. The proper time, the proper moment. And Caesar's trying to get Pompey to flee and lose face. And finally, after four months, Pompey found a weakness in Caesar's line. He attacked. And somehow, Mark Antony, who is now Caesar's number two, managed to repulse the attack at great cost to Caesar's men. And so, a Pyrrhic victory. Pyrrhic victory. And, and after this, Caesar said this, Pompey would have won today only if a winner commanded his army. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Caesar had a way with words. He was like a playground bully. Yeah. Labinus was there, Matteo. And it was said that Labinus took some of the troops, uh, Caesar's troops that they had captured, and had them executed in front of Caesar's lines. Uh, that doesn't seem like something Isn't it, right? he sounds like he would do. It doesn't sound like it at all. I guess it's technically smart, but I mean, the character that I've been envisioning so far didn't seem like me, he would Me do too. This, I'm glad you said that, because it's one of those things that did not stand out for me at all. I've read in some places that the people that were captured, the soldiers <laughs> captured, were not his comrades from Gaul. They were fresh levies. But either way, Freshies. yeah, it just doesn't sound like Labinus. Uh, so Caesar I don't really wrote know. that, though. 
Caesar did say that. Okay. So, yeah. You know, grain of salt. So then Caesar Mateo retreated to another place called Pharsalus. And we talked about this in Pompey's episode because this is the biggie. This is the final battle, right? Hmm. With Pompey, between Pompey and Caesar's forces. I put up a great uh, little graphic on our website. www. Nah, I didn't make it. I found it. Uh, How do people make those? I've always wondered. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Photoshop? Not Photoshop. I don't know how they make it, but it's really cool. And you can see here... We should start making our... Making our own uh, graph, graphics. graphics. I think it's a good idea. We could. Maybe we can use ChatGPT to do it. No, because every need to time... be precise. The thing is with ChatGPT, whenever words are involved, like yeah. this, yeah. it always messes it up. That's true. And like, ChatGPT uh, Chat is not there. Well, we can do it in PowerPoint. Anyways, moving right along. You have Caesar being outnumbered, Mateo, right? Labinus is in charge of Pompey's cavalry. And you can see it on this image. He's basically controlling the left wing. And they have so much more cavalry compared to Caesar. They have more cavalry. And on the right of the Pompeian army is the Anipius River. So both armies have one side covered by a river. And so the side that could maneuver was the side commanded by Labinus. Right. We also have to take into account Roman cavalry is pretty scoffable right now. That That is true. It, it was not the most uh, impressive force. That, that, that is true. That is, they're certainly not what they would become under a guy named like Belisarius centuries later. Or even under an Aurelian in a couple centuries. So Caesar is outnumbered. Labinus in charge of the cavalry. And Labinus was ordered into action, Matteo, by Pompey. He scattered Caesar's cavalry very quickly but caesar was brilliant matteo because he had a hidden fourth line of troops so pompey could see three lines but caesar hid a small fourth line behind his cavalry so when labinus was ordered into action scattered the cavalry of, it was an infantry line yes he so ran straight into a hardcore seasoned line of gallic gallic veterans who emerged from nowhere and started thrusting their pylum up into the horses. Like, uh, what's that with Braveheart? Yeah, like Braveheart. So it shocked Labinus's cavalry, killed many right away, and Labinus couldn't control them, but they, the rest of them fled to the hills. So they, they, what's it called? They routed. They routed. And once the cavalry routed, the, Pompey the routed, and, and they were crushed. Yep. So that was the end of Pompey. At that battle of Pharsalus, we've seen it before, but it's not the end of the fight to save the Republic. So we know what happens to Pompey, you know, he winds up dead in, in Egypt. Labinus also survives the battle and he fled to Corfu after Pharsalus, but when he heard about Pompey's death, he moved on to Africa. And there, Matteo, he raised troops for the Republic, Numidian cavalry, in fact. And he wound up meeting his old friend, Julius Caesar, in battle at a place called Ruspina, which is an old Carthaginian city. And this happened on January 4th of the year 46. They were more or less evenly matched, Matteo. These were right. not big forces. Labinus had 11,000 troops, almost all cavalry. Caesar had 10,000 troops, almost all infantry. And Labinus's troops... 8,000 ca cavalry is yeah. a lot. 8,000 Numidian cavalry. Imagine me a soldier in yeah. uh, yeah. Caesar's army, and you hear the, yeah. the noise of the galloping, 8,000 galloping yeah. horses. And remember, this is Numidian cavalry. This is like Masinissa. Yeah. Mont Montem oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. This is some of the toughest cavalry of the era. S some of the best cavalry uh, in history. 
and Labinus enveloped Caesar's line very quickly. So he, he so wrapped his cavalry like around them. Just like Crassus at Carhai. That's a, a great uh, connection you just made. And started peppering Caesar's men with missiles and arrows and javelins. And on our website, Mateo, there's an image of how Labinus's men or his kind of uh, cavalry were set up and how Caesar set up his lines. Uh, supposedly, Labinus rode close to Caesar's lines, taunting them, and a veteran of the 10th, and this is the 10th that he used to command, threw a pylum and killed Labinus's horse, saying something like, shame on you, dude. Take that. Yeah. From your old buddies at the 10th. Yeah. And incredibly, Matteo, incredibly, Caesar's forces, even though they were completely so this surrounded... this is the 10th legion. This is the 10th. He took him on the boat, took him in Africa. Yeah, yeah. The 10th is in Africa. And Caesar somehow, his forces, they didn't break. They suffered losses, but they didn't break. And they managed to charge Matteo and eventually broke out of the envelopment. They were defeated, but they kept their cool and they lived to fight another day. So you could say Ruspina was kind of a victory for Labinus over Caesar, but it was definitely not any kind of definitive victory. Right. There would be a second battle in Africa, Mateo, called the Battle of Thapsus, which is in modern Tunisia. It's another old Carthaginian city. The, the forces of the Republic were led by a guy named Quintus Caecilius Metellus Scipio. Metellus and Scipio. Yeah, two of the biggest names of the Republic, wrapped up in one. <laughs> yep. This was the big last stand for the Republic. Cato the Younger was also there, Matteo. So why wasn't Labinus in charge? Though? Wasn't he the, the, the head honcho? He, 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 was one, he was one of the heads, but he was not a, a patrician family. senator. Okay. He was not Makes a big sense. family. Yeah. This would be the downfall, ultimately, of it, the Republic. It's, you're absolutely right. Cato the Younger was also there. Uh, Pompey's two sons were there. Cato the Younger fought? He was... Yeah, or, he did. I, I think he fought. Huh. And uh, also, the other important commander was a guy named Publius Atius Verus who has to be related to... The other Varus. The Varus of? What are you thinking? Sula. No. Wait, who's Varus from again? The Tudorburg Forest. Oh! Uh, wasn't that guy Germanic, though? No. Varus. Ver, no, Varus was the, the oh, Roman was governor. The gen- yeah, he was the Roman governor. Yeah, he's got to be like his, his granddad yeah, or something. got to be. So, let's just suffice it to say, Matteo, without going into too much detail, the Republic lost. The Republic lost this battle... Uh, Cato and Metellus both committed suicide after the battle because they were humiliated and Labinus and Verus uh, and the sons of Pompey escaped to Hispania. And that's where we are. So these guys joined up with Pompey's two sons, Gnaeus and Sextus Pompeius. But the only battle-hardened, talented, seasoned, experienced commander there worth the salt was Labinus. Right. Pompey's sons were a joke. And they weren't giving him the reins. And they were not giving him the reins. At Gnaeus, Pompeius is the one that kind of nominally had control over everything. Labinus reported to him. The Pompeius brothers had more or so, less managed to... T- so the, 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 Pom- the, Ju- the Pompey juniors were still leading the fight. They were still leading the fight, yeah. Because they had the name, they had the connections, the pop- they had the money. The richness. They, yeah. and, and they had the Senate support. They managed to take control over most of Hispania. They raised a bunch of legions, and they were headquartered, Mateo, in the modern town of Cordoba. Or Cordoba. I think this reminds me of a lot. What? 
Um, it's mostly because I'm doing a lot of research on that right now. But, but it's very similar to the Shogun versus Empire, or Rise of the Shogun versus Empire, uh, Imperial Court, sorry, um, in Japan. Yeah. It's giving very similar vibes with the patrician families and then just the warrior the warriors. The, the warrior class back. taking yeah. over? Yeah. It's giving me very similar vibes. I guess, as you said in our early episodes, it's a tale as old as time. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, history, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Hmm. Have you heard that expression? Never. Hmm. So but now one. I did. Now you have. So the the forces of the Republic were headquartered in Cordoba. And Caesar, at this point, was back in Rome, realized he had a big problem on his hands. You know, he, he thought he had knocked out the Republican resistance, realized that he had These not. These guys just won't go away. And so he sailed for Hispania from Rome, Mateo, is a 1,500-mile journey. He did it in a month, and he wound up at a place called um, the modern town of Porcuna, if you take a look look at the map, you'll see the journey that Caesar had to accomplish in a very short period of time. Uh, and he arrived with his most trusted legions, including... The 10th. The 10th. Yeah. Including the 10th. And by the way, the 10th had a nickname, which was the Mounted 10th. And we're going to see in Caesar's episode where that came from. I thought it was super cool. Uh, the 10th was there, the 5th, the 6th. And the Legion Three Gallica, which was one of Caesar's newer legions. So he had four legions. Little interesting fact, so probably around like what, fourteen thousand. Four legions, 000. yeah, yeah, probably like eighteen thousand, right? Four thousand eight hundred men to a legion, a fully force, fully staffed legion. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, a little, little short of twenty thousand. Eighteen thousand eight hundred. Yeah. Okay. Caesar had asked his grand nephew to come join him. Hey, buddy. Some random guy. Hey, little Octavian buddy, why don't you come with me to Hispania and see me kick some butt? But Octavian was sick. And too busy playing with all those stupid numbers. He was Exactly. None of that would help him in the too real Too busy world. reading the stupid books with his stupid numbers. <laughs> and he was sick and his tummy hurt. Lame! Yeah. And so he couldn't go to Hispania. There were a bunch of skirmishes, Mateo. Well, he did, but just at the tail end. No, not in this battle. He didn't show up yeah, at all. Yeah, but he did when the campaign was over, basically. Not, that maybe he did. I like don't know. the last month of the campaign. You, you, you know more than I do. We'll see it, I'm I guess. Sure. We'll see it in Octavian's episode or in Caesar's episode. Uh, but I haven't gotten there yet in my research. You're you're more advanced than I am on the topic because you love Octavian. Mm. So a bunch of skirmishes happen between Caesar's forces and Pompeius's forces. Labinus is trying very hard to keep Gnaeus Pompeius from engaging Caesar in head-to-head battle because he knew that Gnaeus was a joke. He knew that their legions were not battle-hardened like the, the Gallic legions that Caesar had at his no disposal. Ma- no, no amount of, of training compensates more uh, compensates experience most definitely not and these guys had eight nine years of hardcore never-ending non-stop experience against ferocious foes Hmm. bit by bit caesar starts racking up small wins mateo little win after little win after little win and starts eroding the confidence of the forces of the republic and Gnaeus pompeius realized that a bunch of his men were planning on defecting to caesar's side so he decided he needed to go all in right now. Otherwise, he was going to lose his army. Right. And on March 17th of 45 BC, the two forces met outside the town of Munda. Nobody knows exactly where that town is, Monteo. There are some hypotheses, but we've never identified the place of the battle. There were eight legions under Caesar's command. There were 12 legions under Gnaeus and Labinius's command. And you know what? It says a lot about Caesar and how good he was 
that Labinius, even with four more legions, didn't want to engage him head to head. Yes, absolutely. It says a lot about Caesar and his men. And about Labinius' judgment. Mm. He was shrewd. Right. The fighting lasted for eight hours, Matteo. It was so ferocious that generals on both sides, meaning Gnaeus Pompeius and Labinus, and Caesar on the other side, had to enter the battle themselves. No, this was not them leading from behind. They had to jump in and fight. And Caesar would say after this battle, Matteo, that he had fought many times for victory, but at Munda, he had to fight for his life. Caesar himself took control of the 10th, Matteo. Really? Was he vanguard? Fighting, yes. Fighting, uh, he took the right wing. Hmm. He put the 10th on the right wing, and he took command of the 10th. Yes, he did. Wow, that's awesome. And, uh, And quoting here from Appian, a Roman historian, taking personal control of his favorite legion, the 10th, he seized a shield from one of his cowering soldiers, ripped his own helmet off, and roared, this will be the end of my life and of your military service, before racing towards the enemy, leading his men personally. That's one of the coolest things <laughs> yeah. I've ever heard. <laughs> right? Isn't that incredible? Oh my God. And That's awesome. Appian goes on. What due, a badass. Due to the bright red cloak he always wore in battle to signal his identity, the enemy spotted him and directed a barrage of missiles fired at him. At no time prior had Caesar come so close to losing his life. And we got to understand here that the center is, of course, important, but there was nothing more crucial to the survivability of the battle than yeah. the, the, the flank. Because if the flank collapses, the, the whole yeah, army if, collapses. If the wing collapses, they can flank you and you're done. And so there's a, 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 a graphic on the website again of the Battle of Munda, and you can see the position of the 10th Legion, Legio 10, on the far right flank, and uh, far right wing, and that is where Caesar inserted himself in battle. So Caesar's men, who were starting to flag, when they saw him in the thick of war, they rallied, and Pompey Jr. responded, Matteo, by ordering Labinus to move the full cavalry from his right wing to reinforce the left so that he would be facing Caesar. So he left his right wing completely naked. Why do people do that? People are so dumb. Gnaeus was dumb. And Labinus had to comply because he was not the commanding general. And that gave Caesar the critical break. Caesar's men were then able to break through the Pompeian line. His troops swung around and started attacking the army's flank. You called it. The whole line collapses when you, when you take the flank. But Matteo, he had a brilliant foe. His foe was Labinus. Labinus saw the threat. He saw the flanking maneuver. So what did he do? He withdrew the cavalry from the front lines, and he turned to meet the challenge in the rear. So he took his men from the front. The, all, all of a sudden, all the cavalry disappears from the front, and Pompey's army turns, and they see Labinus charging away from the front line. And Pompey's army was fairly green. And they completely misinterpreted the move. You got it. They thought that Labinus was running away. They didn't realize that he was running towards the biggest threat that faced them. And that was that, Matteo. That's all she wrote. Pompey's army panicked. That's how the cookie crumbles. The cookie crumbled. The army started dissolving very quickly. And what was... A ferocious toe-to-toe battle turned into a slaughter. 30,000 Pompeian troops were killed that day versus 1,000 for Caesar. 
all 13 legionary standards of Pompey's army were captured. That's embarrassing. Yeah. It is That's the, one the, of the worst dishonors. The, the the worst dishonor. Even one one legionary standard yep. that haunts that haunts yep. your family name for yep. hundreds of years. But thirteen? Thirteen eagles were lost to Caesar that day. And that was the end of the army of the Republic. Labinus Mateo lay dead on the field. His head was brought to Caesar. And Caesar ordered his men to search the battlefield to find Labinus's body and to bring it to him. They did, and Caesar ordered him buried with full military honors, Mateo. Hey, and Caesar's a big man for that. Mateo, you know what's incredible? Not only was this Labinus's last battle, because he died in battle, but this was also Julius Caesar's last battle as a commander in war. Really? Yes, this is it. Munda was his last battle. From here, he returns to Rome in triumph, and he would die, Matteo, one year later, almost to the day, on the 15th of March in 44 BC. I didn't BC. it was that close. I had all. no idea Every at time all. they talk about Caesar in this whole dilemma, it's always as soon as Pompey's defeated, that's it. Yeah. It's done. Yes. No one talks about the, the Pompey Jr. and the, the, the rest of the Republic no. forces. I, I also had no idea. This shocked me as well. I had this impression that after Caesar crushed the forces of the Republic... He was just chilling in Egypt for like, for like five years. A couple of years in Egypt and then hanging out in Rome and life was good. No, he had very little time to savor this victory. So the two friends... You know, I read a great quote, Matteo, and I want to close with this. I, I found something online, a Saber and Scroll magazine, and there's an author named Michael J. Majersik who described this fateful final battle and this friendship between Caesar and Labinus. They, Caesar and Labinus, this guy says, had achieved much together. They served with distinction in Asia, defeated the political designs of the Optimates in Rome, and conquered all of Gaul. Nevertheless, their friendship could not prevent them from opposing each other during the Civil War. The point of no return for both men was the Rubicon. From then on, only one of them could live. They each knew the other's thought process, and in a way, they were fighting a reflection of themselves. To survive, that reflection could not bear light of their former friendship. That they spent the last years of their lives trying to deprive the other of existence indicates neither man questioned their choices. And that was that. Caesar came out the better, though not for very long, and Labinus died on the field of battle in Spain. It's very. That sound, it sounds very General Hancock and General Armistead from uh, the American Civil War. Oh, that's very interesting. Two friends, and, and they ended yeah. up. Actually, that's a good story. They ended up falling on the same battle in, in the same day, but it's very. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I had. If you don't remember the I, story, if you don't know the story, I, I, t- for our listeners, I, I remember because you made me so, watch this movie. General Hancock and General Armistead were um, a Union and uh, Confederate generals, respectively. And they were great friends. They fought uh, together during the Mexican-American Wars. But due to familial divides, you know, and their heritage, these were best friends, but they were separate on opposite sides of the Civil War. And they ended up falling on the same day at Gettysburg, on the final day of Gettysburg. And in their dying breaths, they asked, like, their just some random soldiers, like, to bring, um, I think for Hancock it was the spurs of his boots and and I think his like his necklace or something to the other. And they both... 
basically died, like never being able to talk to each other again. But they were best friends that fought in the Civil War, and it sounds a lot like this. You're absolutely right. It's similar. It is. It's a lot like that. And or, I'm sure that happens in many Civil Wars. Or, or, or a little bit like Jefferson and Adams, even though mm-hmm. they, were in, they weren't warriors in battle against each other, but they were political uh, political rivals. enemies and rivals. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that connection you just made, Mateo. My mind would not have gone there for a million years. I salute you. I love the way. I really love the way your brain can do that. Uh, mine can't. Mine is much more, kind of, step, 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 one step after another, and you can make these lateral moves. That's very cool. So, Labinus, Mateo. We don't know what he looks like, but I worked with ChatGPT a little bit to come up with an image of him, and, and our listeners can see it on our website at www.lostgermanheroes.com. It's him charging into battle on top of a horse. Pretty cool, no? Leading the cavalry. Leading the, tra- leading the cavalry. Yeah. So that is Titus Labinus, hero of the wars in Gaul and hero of the Republic. I don't know and how people... I don't know how we never heard of this guy. I don't know. I, have no I thought we were like some pretty nutty guys, but... who? Um, A.J. Howard... Look, wherever you heard of him, you gotta give us you you gotta give us that source. And yeah, how did you come across him? I, I, it's we 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 love these gems. Like we live for the lost heroes. And we do so much deep diving that we don't know how this guy just completely crossed our mind. It, it really is well, incredible. Not crossed how he slipped. Slipped our mind. Maybe it's because he lived in a time of such big names, huge names, and huge egos and personalities. Um, that he's just, I don't know. I mean, if you think about it, when the average Joe on the street knows nothing about a Pompeius Magnus, uh, how could they know right. about a Titus He was a big Lavinus? fish in a massive ocean. Yeah, that he was. Yeah, that's well put. So now it's time to judge him, Mateo. Step number one is you know, how big was his military success on a scale of 0 to 10? We gave Pompey an eight, and we said that he was great, but he couldn't beat Caesar. Yep. This guy, granted, was under Caesar for a long time, so I'm going to give him just slightly below Pompey. Yep. I gave him an 8.5 for Pompey. I'm going to give this guy 7.5. 7.5? Yeah. Couldn't beat Caesar. No one was like, you, you can't beat Caesar. Yep. Maybe, actually, if he was given the reins, maybe. We don't know. He could have beat Caesar. It, maybe. Maybe if he had time to train troops. You know, if he had Caesar's legions, and could he have beaten Caesar If he was just given the reins, even like, battle? he could have... Managed the army and uh, led the army the way he wanted. Yeah. Who knows? You know, probably not, but who knows? Because he was seemed like he was pretty decent. He would consider himself on par with Caesar militarily. Yeah. You know, but obviously. I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I'm I'm good with a seven and a half. I was just skimming back through some of our old episodes, and you and I both gave Cincinnatus a seven. I, I think maybe I don't know. I don't know how. But then again, Cincinnati. We're not talking about military aptitude, though. We're just talking about success. Yeah, success. Yeah, this guy was was incredibly successful until the day that he was no longer successful, and died, at 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 Munda. So seven and a half it is. How successful was he politically? Um, pretty average, I'd say. Honestly, most of his positions were. He was okay. He was successful enough that the men of the Republic, the patricians, considered him a valuable asset to be uh, and Pompey and the patricians considered him a valuable asset on the military side of things so when Pompey and the whole war was happening Pompey said this guy needs to be in charge of the cavalry he's great so um, saying that he he was successful in that way but all of his positions and and titles were pretty much given to him because he was piggyback he was piggybacking pig Piggyback riding, Jesus. No, Jesus has nothing. Piggyback, piggyback, piggyback riding. Riding the piggyback. 
off of Caesar's train to the top. Yeah. So, well, he was elected tribune, really, of, tribune of the plebs. That right, was something. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but f- fair enough. I would say, yeah, he, this is not a Pompeii-level uh, political success. Uh, but I think he's above average because he got pretty high right, and they, as a tribune and, of the And plebs. even the patricians regarded him highly yeah. uh, for his military capabilities. So I'm going to say a call, seven. Yeah, seven? Okay, I was going like six and a half. So you, you know, know I must call it six, six and a half too. I just, I don't want to, I don't, yeah, six and a half. Six, six and a half is okay. So what about Matteo? Coolness? Coolness. He seems pretty cool. I think he's pretty cool as well. Yeah, like he's the, obviously like. He kind of seems like he's like the twin brother that's kind of in the shadow. Yes. But like he, he it's giving a lot of John and King Richard Plantagenet kind of vibes. Oh, that's an interesting one. But he's not a loser like John. He was an, a, a, a warrior, you know. Um, he he was always leading the men up front. Uh, not as cool as Caesar, but he did. He was he was active in the battle, so he's pretty cool. I would say. Um, he's pretty decently cool. So, are we talking seven? I'm talking thinking of seven here. Seven? Okay, I, I'm I'm finding that you and I are in sync on this one. And finally, Matteo. Impact. Finally, yeah. uh, impact. <sighs> it's hard. Grand scheme of things, impact was minor. If he had sided with Caesar, the victory probably would have been easier. Probably would have been more swift for Caesar. I think that's the case for sure. But either ways. Caesar got the victory. If he was given the reins, he, if he was put in a better position, maybe the impact would have been greater. Who knows? But we're not doing hypotheticals here. Yeah. His impact was pretty, you know, it was a footnote in well, Caesar's story. Pre- presumably in Gaul, he played an important oh, role for Gaul, the, those yeah. first six years in but Gaul. But if we're talking about the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah, the, the grand arc of history. That's what this is about. He's a, he's a, I mean, most people don't know who he is. Even... Some history nerds like us, like Rome nerds. Yeah. We didn't even know who he was until last You're week. You're right. So I'm going to say his, his impact is... It was on, it was it's, on the it's, low side. It's, it's pretty... Uh, it's lost to history. I'd say he held up the Republic for longer than it would have without him uh, if it were just Pompey and his sons. Uh, so I think he deserves points for that and he deserves points for what he did in Gaul. But yes, he's he is lost in time. And we gave Sertorius... A three, even though we love the guy and he did incredible things in his lifetime. We have to give this guy it, something similar. I think it has to be similar as well. So is it a three? Is it a? Is it? I I'm mean, gonna say, I'm gonna say it. I, I sort of think it's. I, I'm, you know what? Even when I think about it, it's probably a little lower than. It's Sertorius. lower than Sertorius. I tend to agree with you. So I'm gonna have to give him a. Yeah. Two point five. Yeah. Okay. Let's do two five. I, I agree. Because Sertorius managed to rally the province of Spain. This guy yeah. just. You're right. You're right. He was hanging out with a club that he didn't belong with, and it was his downfall. You know? I completely agree with you. He was hanging out in a very exclusive club. He was never quite able to crack through to be one of the guys. Right, and even if he didn't really fit in with them, and, and he, they, didn't, yeah. they didn't give him the reins. Maybe yeah. if he had had the reins, things would have been different, and things maybe might he have would been have different. been the very first dictator. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe the Republic would have lived. Yeah. Maybe he would have fought Octavian. Yes. You never know. And we never will. Well, Mateo, that gives him a 59%. And a 59% ranks him just above Spartacus, just below Cunctator. And I guess that feels, I mean, I think that's kind of right, wouldn't you say? Right. He's in that range with Sertorius, Spartacus to Sertorius range. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, you're right. He's, he's somewhere right around there. So, so the question then, Mateo, becomes, uh, you know, does he deserve? Is he deserving? What did we rate Spartacus's impact? Uh, Spartacus's impact, we gave him sixes. It's because it's easy to like let like popular media like influence your decisions. Yeah, because at the end of the day, what did he really? What did he change? Right. Not a lot. Did he change Rome? Did he change the world? No, but he's he, but he inspires people mm. to this day, and I, I think that's that six we gave him was for his power to inspire, right. not for actual deeds. So, fifty nine percent Mateo for Sertorius, and leaves us with a question of: Is this guy? Worthy of the Hall of Heroes. I'm gonna say he seems like at the time he was definitely uh, a popular figure, probably a local hero yeah. amongst the people of Rome. Yeah. Caesar talked about him. He was one of those guys that was winning them battles. So I, I think the people in Rome probably saw him as a hero. Um, uh, when he fought against Caesar, those that were against Caesar probably saw him as a hero. Yeah. But do we? Uh, I, it's not. This is not a slam dunk for me. I, I don't know. I don't know either because if he's the hero, is Caesar the villain? I don't know, and, and we'll see about Caesar. Or are they just our, two heroes that are? I don't know. I, yeah. Well, can two heroes stand across each other on a field of battle and and be opposed to each other, and both be called lost Roman heroes? I I I think so. I think you can. I think so too. Because we like said, said Pompey was in the Hall of Heroes, and right, and it's Hancock Armistead as well. They both yeah. served with each other, Gaul, Mexico. Yeah, and they're on opposite sides. Of course, one was far more wrong than this one, but still, so I'm gonna have to say, yeah, he sneaks in there. I, I think he does too. And you know what? For me, the definitive thing is is, is in, we don't know enough about him. I think that's the we thing. we don't know enough about him. But but the fact that when Caesar crossed the Rubicon. He said, no, right. that's wrong. I'm breaking the law. So, yeah, you know what? He's a hero. So uh, I Not think first from, ballot, but he's definitely a hero. Yeah, you know? I agree. So, Labinus, like, giving you a little clap. He's the Scotty Pippen to Michael Jordan. Giving you a little clap. You lived a remarkable life. You left remarkable deeds in your wake. And it's a shame that you've been lost to history. And, Mateo, it's a, this little thing that we're doing, this little podcast, it's, it's a privilege to be able to resurrect... Uh, in some way, shape, or form, guys like Labinus uh, yeah, for, for, probably our, for our listeners. Not many people have talked about him yeah. since his death. Yeah. So, And I really wish we knew more about people like him because it would make this process so much, not only easier, but more interesting. We got to know about Labinus, not just what Caesar wrote about him. It, it, it's so true. And so much of what is written about him, if it's not Caesar, it's people speculating. And we just speculated, but I like the picture that we just drew of him. And and that is that for Labinus. So uh, to our listeners, you can look on our website, www.lostromanheroes.com, and you will see an updated version of the Hall of Heroes with Labinus on it. Uh, that's episode number 21 in the books. Please, please, please to everyone, we beg at the end of every episode, leave us reviews. Not only does it make us happy, gives us joy, and kind of inspires us to keep going, but when you leave reviews on uh, uh, iTunes or on Spotify, it helps the placement of the podcast. When people search for history podcasts and we pop up 
and it just it's like a virtuous circle and it helps us know if we're doing the right thing or if you think we're doing the wrong thing it helps us you know improve De so definitely super open to constructive criticism and feedback if you want to leave it in a review or if you want to reach wanna, out on twitter that's or, the best way to communicate with us i'm yeah, pretty sure twitter is definitely the best way or you can send us a direct message on instagram uh, which is how this episode came to be because somebody told us about Titus Labinus on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So, Mateo, I'd like to le read a recent review, or actually not a review, it's a note that we got from somebody on Twitter. A, uh, a guy at Twitter called Nick. And Nick sent us a message a week or two ago and been meaning to mention it. Uh, you can read it, Mateo, if you'd like. All right. At Lost Roman Heroes. Loving the podcast, especially your use of Star Wars analogies. I teach a sixth grade history and I teach a sixth grade history class and teach the fall of the Republic using Star Wars. The kids love it and I love the challenging of making different scenes fit different parts of history. Nick, love that message. So happy that you appreciate the Star Wars analogies and, and our, they're coming fast and furious to and, our next episode. Where do you teach? Because my school's curriculum talked about Rome for about 25 minutes and it was just Julius Caesar. <laughs> you know what? That's actually a great question. Especially in sixth grade. We just covered yeah. geography. That's that's literally it. Yeah. Nick, uh, where do you teach? Because it sounds like a pretty enlightened place and you sound like a very enlightened teacher. Thank you for reaching out to us. That's awesome. Um, Mateo, new countries, or not new countries, I just wanted to mention that we have three countries that are like blowing up and moving into the lead together, which is, uh, or not the lead, but let's say cracking into the top five, Germany, Ireland, and Sweden. Mm. Uh, in each of these countries, Germany, in the last month, we've had 46 downloads, 44 in Ireland, 40 in Sweden, and that means there are multiple people there listening to us, and that's so amazingly cool. Thank you to Germany, Ireland, Sweden. Thank you to our listeners around the world. It is massively gratifying to see you guys downloading and, and hopefully enjoying the podcast reach out to us and let us know what you think Mateo before we sign off I wanted to say that I did a count of all of the guys and girls that we have on our list of heroes to do episodes on to see how many we have left so in the, to the total pipeline as of today is 81 hero candidates we've done 21 of them Mateo so we're a quarter of the way through we're at 20.6% if the math is right. Isn't that crazy? Crazy? It is crazy. <laughs> it's baddie. It's a little crazy even. It is a little crazy. Anyway, so the, the, the list, can we can still add and take things away, but we've done, we've made a pretty good dent so far, and I'm really proud of us. And I want to say this to you, my son. I love doing this with you. Me too, man. I really do. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't our first episode in September? I think it was August, actually. I think we started in that somewhere. That seems like a August. long time, but it feels yeah. so short. Yeah. Wow. So, I want to thank you. I love doing this with you. It brings me joy. It really does. Every week. And... and thanks to the audience, too. Well, the audience for listening. I, I can't believe so many people are listening. We're about to break through the 5,000 download mark. Which is crazy, crazy. Yeah, and it shot up like 2,000 in a week and a half. Yeah. Almost. Like, it yeah. was pretty crazy. Yeah. And so. thank you to you, my son. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in this week. And please join us next week. I am a little nervous about next week because we have a doozy 
tackling the biggest player in Roman history. The big man, Mr. Julius Caesar himself. Poster board, golden boy, right there. Part one. It's going to be a two-parter, Matteo, for sure. Oh, of course. Hopefully, we're going to try to keep it to two parts. We're going to try. No promises. <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. And look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you.